If you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. What are the neighborhoods like? What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or neighborhood best? And why can't all this information just be in one place? Well, now it is on homes.com. As somebody who's been through this, I can tell you these features are so, so incredibly valuable. They've got comprehensive neighborhood guides and detailed reports about local schools, and their agent directory helps you see the agent's current listings and sales history. The area you live in is just as important as the house itself. You can get to know a neighborhood without ever setting foot in it. Say you're a really active person. You could find out about the nearest parks. Do they have a baseball field? Maybe you want to join a softball league like Chris and I play in. Also, Homes.com collaboration tools makes it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information all at your fingertips. Homes.com, we've done your homework. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. And first pitch crushing! Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now, here's Frank, Scott, and Chris. Hello, everyone. Welcome again to Fantasy Baseball Today. I'm Scott White, joined by the aforementioned Chris Towers, whose birthday it is today. And... You know, it's it's a big weekend for everybody, a big weekend with, with the holiday and all, but it's the biggest weekend of all for the guy who isn't here. Our host our yeah. our host Frank Stamful. He uh he entered into that strange and wonderful covenant known as marriage this weekend, and we're all very happy for him. Marriage is actually one of the things I enjoy talking about most. Like I could do a whole podcast on marriage, probably. Chris, something that people may not know about you is you got married like really young, right? Oh, I've been married forever. I've yeah. basically been married my whole life at this point. I, how, old, how old were you? I was 21, so it's coming up on 13. I think this year will be 13 years of marriage, which is wild. My, see, my tw- marriage is in eighth grade. <laughs> the, the 21 number, I mean, I'm sure it surprises a lot of people. I mean, like that's that's kind of how I thought my life would go like <laughs> oh I'll, I'll i'll meet somebody if not in high school then in college get married right afterward no it didn't exactly go that way i had to wait all the way till 26 which i'm sure sure sounds really young to some people but anyway finally happened uh let's get into the baseball here big weekend uh we didn't talk about it beforehand chris but oh my goodness gracious you got somebody you want to highlight this weekend uh yeah yeah, I'm going to go with, and we've been riding this roller coaster all year. I'm going to go with Charlie Morton, who had one of his best starts of the season. I think, arguably, uh, you could say his best start of the season. Seven shutout innings. Sorry, seven. Wait, what am I? Yeah, yeah, he had seven yeah. innings. Seven Ten strikeouts innings, against Cincinnati. Sorry, I was. One I hit. pulled up his game log and it didn't show up. Yeah. Um, he was exceptional. Really, really good. He's been really good for. Really, his past four starts now, uh, 9, 11, 5, and 10 strikeouts. And even if you go back to the start of June, 8, 12, 9, 11, and 5, he had allowed eight runs in the first two starts of June combined. But 
overall, Charlie Morton has pretty much looked like himself, and that's what we expected to happen, right? This was the, mm-hmm. the expectation was amid all of his struggles for the first couple of months of the season, we thought Charlie Morton was going to figure it out, and I feel pretty confident in saying that he has. Yeah, double-digit strikeouts and three of five. Uh, the whiffs were down in his previous start, so it was nice to see him get right back on the horse with maybe his most dominant start on year. I mean, he was threatening to throw a no-hitter deep into that game. Unfortunately, the bullpen blew it for him, so he didn't end up with a win. But yeah, I would say Charlie Morton, we're back to thinking of him as a must-start, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I joked, I, I think, right around the beginning of June that I moved Charlie Morton out of my top 40 finally. So uh, congratulations on this run he's about to go on. And lo and behold, I think it like coincided exactly with that nine-strikeout game too. So the timing was really, really stupendous there. And yeah, I, I'm viewing Charlie Morton as a top 30 starting pitcher rest of season. I think at least I'm not sure exactly where, but I think, you know, once we've seen him pitch like we thought he would, I mean, he was a top 20 guy for all of us coming into the season. So yeah, I yep. think, um, I think he's right back to being a, a must start guy again. All right. My, Oh my goodness. Gracious player from the weekend is Christian Javier of the Astros who that was, that was the, uh, what are we referring to it as the, the, the breadstick leftover breadstick, the leftover the, the breadstick. obvious one. Yeah. Yes. I will take it because you know, we, we, we said Charlie Morton had seven, one hit innings. Well, so did Christian Javier on Friday with 14 strikeouts and his previous start, he uh, allowed no hits and struck out 13. So that's about as good of a two-start stretch as any pitcher has ever had. And, uh, you know, if there was any doubt about Christian Javier keeping the rotation spot once Jake Odorizzi was ready to go, it's completely removed now. And in fact, uh, the Astros actually addressed it over the weekend, what their plans are for Odorizzi. And, they didn't say he's going to the bullpen, but they're saying they're going to use him as a sixth starter, at least to to start out. So, you know, you don't have to worry about Javier getting bumped or Luis Garcia getting bumped or, uh, you know, even... Uh, yeah, even lately, or Keedy's really taken off. So, so yeah, everybody appears safe for now. And Javier, I, I think, you know, it, it, it looks to me like he's emerging as you know, a, a must-start guy himself. Like, he's really taken a step forward here, and it, it seems like he's just pounding with that fastball lately, which was arguably the only pitch he had in the minors, which is why he didn't gain much prospect traction, even though he was putting up ridiculous numbers down there. It's just a it's just a great, great fastball, and uh, he's using it to maximum effect right now. Yeah, he's been... I mean, you don't really... It, it's kind of one of those situations where... There's not really much to say. He's been so absurdly dominant. Um, mm-hmm. the, the thing is, it's not... I mean, he's very fastball-heavy. 62% fastball usage at this point is, is among the heavier fastball usage guys in, in baseball among starters. But he's also got that slider that he throws about 27% of the time. And he's got a 38% whiff rate with it. And he's getting really good results on, on both 
balls and play with it. Wow. So, yeah, he um, he does a really good job of keeping the fastball up. He doesn't have, like, huge velocity. He averages 93.7, but it's a a high spin rate pitch. He get he keeps it up in the zone. He gets a lot of whiffs. He gets a lot of weak contact with it. Um, and he generates a, a decent amount of pop-ups with it. So, you know, if you're wondering how Christian Javier does it, that's that goes a long way to explaining it. So, um, yeah, I'm... Uh, I'm pretty happy with what he's doing right now. The fact that his role seems pretty locked in. I I think he's a I mean a top fifty starting pitcher for sure. Now we've gotten Easily. bit, you know, Easily. Bur- burned a few times this season by oh Eric. Elevating Lauer guys and ele- elevating guys too quickly. I, I mean yeah. I think it's different and in so, Christian Javier's case because I, I mean we've we've seen him be nothing but impressive as a starter I mean, dominant might be going a little far because he's had consistency issues some walk issues uh but you know if they ever stuck with him in the rotation i felt really good about his chances and and he's going beyond those expectations all right it was a big a, weekend a one i've got Tarek scoobal oh go ahead uh, it was a big weekend for returning players so we'll get into that now mookie betts was back in the lineup for the Dodgers on Sunday. And, you know, he only missed two and a half weeks with a cracked rib. Seemed like a a hurried return for him. But he went two for three with two doubles, two walks, and his first game back looked great. He was playing right field. It's normal position, so they weren't weren't babying him as far as that goes. And uh, that makes me feel really confident about getting him back in my lineup. Uh, Aaron Ashby returned on Saturday uh, from that strained forearm that nobody seemed particularly worried about. And it didn't go so well. He was facing the Pirates. He allowed four runs in three and two-thirds innings, four earned runs in three and two-thirds innings. Did strike out six, but also allowed two home runs. He had eight swinging strikes on 62 pitches. It was a pretty good rate. Velocity was fine. Uh, but he did get hit hard, 92.4 mile per hour average exit velocity. Again, to the Pirates, a, a team you would normally expect him to carve up, and the team he's facing this upcoming week for a second straight start. How do you feel about using Aaron Ashby for that start? Uh, I think he's fine, but probably, I don't know, more like a top 60-ish pitcher than than someone who's a must-start. So, yeah, I, yeah. I think, um, you know, the RP eligibility certainly helps in, in your points leagues, but there are a few, like, two-start RPs who might be ahead of him. But for the most part, I, I think he's fine, but definitely not a must-start. Yeah, so I had to keep him in my uh, top 10 sleeper pitchers for this upcoming week just because there aren't that many to get excited about. But, you know, this kind of puts that list in perspective. I, I think I'd avoid Ashby if I could coming off this start uh, because, you know, I, I do think the profile itself is dominant. Elite ground ball rate, elite swing and miss rate. And maybe he was just rusty or maybe that forearm injury is is, first than anybody, is worse than anybody's letting on and, and he's going to continue to struggle with that. So I, I just I need more assurances from Aaron Ashby uh, before I start him again, at least in an optimal world. Drew Rasmussen also came off the IL this weekend. He had a pretty good start at Toronto, only went four and two-thirds innings, one earned run allowed, two strikeouts. 
I, I, there was a time when we were pretty excited about him, but like, do are, are we viewing him as more of a fringy guy now? I, I added him to the to the sleeper pitchers list for this week. Had to take a couple others out, but not not with a lot of gusto. Yeah, I, I think he's pretty fringy, and I, I think part of it is one, it's the Rays, so you never know how much of like the sixty eight pitches that he threw to in, in this start were just the result of it being his first start, or whether they're gonna you know, limit his usage moving forward. I think both are possible explanations. Um, he was fine in this start, nine swing strikes, 25% CSW. I think that's okay. But you know, the, I, there's definitely a, a, a capped ceiling to how useful Drew Rasmussen can be unless he's just really, really good. You know, you can, yeah. you can still be really, really good for fantasy. If you are throwing 85 to 90 pitches every start, but you have to the the bar is higher for that kind of profile and i think rasmussen's more like just a good pitcher and not a a difference maker necessarily Darren duran of the red sox was back friday remember he missed that series uh because in, in toronto because of his vaccination status first game back friday two for five hit his first home run since since uh coming up from the minors this year and uh, got another two hits on Saturday, batting 333 overall, four stolen bases already, continues to hit leadoff for the Red Sox. And uh, I'm, I'm finding it pretty hard to, you know, forget it at or whether we should add him or not. He's only about 50% rostered, but I'm, I'm finding it pretty difficult to sit him in those five outfielder rotisserie leagues, knowing potential as a leadoff hitter and, and, and for stolen bases. Yeah, I'm viewing him as, as pretty much a must-start uh, guy in a five outfielder league. So, you know, I mean, what that means is in a 12-team league, that's probably at least a top 50 outfielder, maybe top 45. Um, but yeah, the you know, I don't know how much of an impact power hitter he's going to be, but I think the speed is going to be legitimate. I think he's got enough pop that Jaron Duran is certainly someone I want in my lineup uh, in a five outfielder league. Yeah. All right. He's not back yet, but he's coming back Tuesday. Max Scherzer set to go against the reds, aiming for 90 pitches and six innings. And it just so happens he lines up for two starts in his first week back. So, you know, I don't know that anybody as high into Scherzer. We'd be, uh, wanting to give that that one start buffer back from the injury to to just make sure everything looks solid. I mean, he's Max Scherzer, so probably just throw him in there. But especially given that there's another start on the docket, Nick Lodolo uh, might be a different case. He's you know he had he had a long term absence for a back injury. He's also expected back Tuesday, which would also line him up for two starts. That return had been delayed a few times already, and he's obviously not Max Scherzer. So, um, where, where do you stand on Nick Lodolo? Uh, yeah. So with Scherzer, I was just trying to look up his minor league rehab assignment. Like he allowed four, four run runs in eight innings, but he struck out 14. So I think you can feel pretty confident in him. And I, I like the idea of like Max Scherzer being 88 at 87 pitches with five and a third innings p finished and, the manager trying to go take him out of the game. I'd like to see how that's going to go for the manager. So I'm going to say Max Scherzer, 90 innings. Seems like a pretty good bet, or 90 pitches. Yeah, 90 um, pitches, yeah. Lodolo, 
I really, I think he's interesting, but he's not so much of a difference maker, at least yet, that I'm willing to throw. The, the potential remains intriguing. He's someone that I want, you know, I think in, um, in like your 12-team or deeper Roto Leagues, I think he's worth having on your roster. But, like, he wasn't pitching so well before the injury that I'm willing to just throw him out there maybe in a two-start week as a as a in a head-to-head points league he might yeah. be but i uh i think i would probably give him a start before but I, to see how he looks yeah. he did have 18 strikeouts and 12 and two-thirds in his uh minor league rehab assignment which is a good sign i just i think the biggest thing is i wonder how the f- you know whether the fastball is good enough yet um, you know, he actually does remind me a decent amount of Reed Detmers in a lot of ways, really good curveball, the fastball command, not so much there yet. So, um, definitely someone I want to see before I throw my, my lineup. Yeah. And he had 19 strikeouts over 14, two thirds innings. And when he was up earlier this year, it's just, you know, <laughs> we haven't seen enough from Nick Lodolo and certainly not coming off this injury. I was happy to pick him up and, and I think he was available in one of my 15 team leagues and I put in a claim for him. Uh, but I think most people listening can probably sit back and see how Nick Lodolo's return goes. Jacob deGrom made a return and on the, at the minor league levels. It was Class A, uh, but he looked like Jacob deGrom. He struck out, uh, I, what was it, five of the six of the seven batters he faced? Five of the six batters he faced. Five of the six batters he faced. Seven pitches recorded at 100 miles per hour or higher for Jacob deGrom. So that's exciting yeah. and gives me some hope he'll be, he'll be back sooner than later. Uh, I, I almost would prefer him not throwing yeah, I mean, miles per hour, but because we, we certainly the, know he's capable of Yeah, I mean, of as, as we saw in this, as we saw in spring, it's not, it's not so much the is Jacob deGrom currently healthy. That's not the biggest question for me. It's what are the chances of him staying healthy? And as we saw in the spring, it's not, him currently being healthy, and I, I, I feel like he probably is. He was throwing 100 miles an hour today. First pitch he threw was 100 plus miles an hour. Um, you know, it's a, a question of how likely is he to stay healthy moving forward, and that remains a big question. But obviously, at this point, you don't have to make the choice of whether to draft him in the first round. So it's much less of an urgent, pressing question. It's just when he's out there, I think he's going to be dominant. Yep. All right. We also got Ronald Acuna back after missing few games with a foot injury he went for he went two for three with a double in his return friday and then stole two bases on sunday so i would venture to say he's absolutely fine amazing starts from amazing pitchers we've already talked about christian javier and charlie morton starts tony gonsolin had a great one himself friday one earned run in seven and two-thirds innings against the padres eight strikeouts um what was most notable about this start for Gonsolin, though, is is his previous high for innings was only six and a third, and he went seven and two thirds. As I said, I, I believe only half of his starts were six innings or more prior to this start. So my my the biggest thing holding me back from ranking Gonsolin like an ace or or a near ace was just that he wasn't taking on that kind of workload. Well, maybe this is the start of it. Yeah, the the one thing I would push back on there is he only threw 92 pitches. 
So it wasn't mm-hmm. like there was this dramatic change in the way the Dodgers used him. That's actually still only the that's tied for the second most pitches he's thrown in a start. He had 94 in the previous start. So I guess if you want to be optimistic, you could say there's a an upward trend there, although he did have a stretch of three straight with 90 plus pitches at the end of May before not throwing 90 plus and four straight. So I think it's still the case that Tony Gonsolin is likely to be handled fairly carefully moving forward. And it's, like what we're seeing right now is kind of like the Blake Snell uh, Cy Young season where he was able to pitch pretty deep into games, but it was mostly because he was pitching so outrageously effectively. Tony Gonsolin has gone six plus innings in what is it? Seven of his last nine starts. But like I said, during that stretch, he's thrown 90 plus pitches, five out of those nine starts, including no more than 94 in a start. So I think, Despite the fact that he is going to deep deep into games right now, you know he's averaging six innings per start uh, over the last nine. It's mostly because he's got a 165 ERA and a 172 BABIP during that stretch. And like, I think Tony Gonsolin's really good, but I still think like once he gets a little, you know, once the luck balances out a little, and I, I don't, I'm not saying it's all luck because, like I said, I think he's really good. Um, but I think he's probably going to be someone who is more like six innings than seven innings most times out. Um, yeah, which is so, not, you know, not terribly uncommon. But I, no, I, yeah. I could see, I have him at, at my last rankings update, I have Tony Gonsolin 25th, mm-hmm. uh, particularly given the injury we saw from Frankie Montas on Sunday. We'll get into that in a bit. I could see getting yeah. Gonsolin into my top 20, like rounding out the top 20 rest of season. It looks yeah, like you I think that's reasonable for now. Yeah. But, you know, I like I look at the guys, I'm, I'm moving him up right now, and I look at the guys ahead of him, and like, you, Darvish, I think that one's fine. Uh, Tony Gonsolin ahead of him. But like, Charlie Morton, that's an interesting question. Charlie Morton versus Tony Gonsolin, because if we mostly think Charlie Morton's back to being the guy he was preseason, I don't have the innings concerns about him that I do. Or yeah. not the innings concerns, but the 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 depth concern that I have about him. And I, I think in terms of which one's a better pitcher, I think it's really close. You know, Morton's probably a better strikeout guy at the very least. So, you know, then I've got like Lucas Giolito, Clayton Kershaw, Pablo Lopez, Luis Severino. Like it is hard for Gonsolin, I think, to, to break through that crowd, especially when you look at his peripherals and they suggest, you know, he's the FIP is more like low to mid threes, which it's not surprising that a guy with a, one five four ERA is outperforming his peripherals, and I think he profiles as someone who probably will. He has for his entire major league career over two hundred innings now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think you know when you're talking about the the razor thin margins that exist at this level, that that's a tiebreaker in his uh, you know that works against him perhaps. All right, Spencer Strider. Man, a bad weekend for the Reds hitters and their strikeout totals because, you know, Charlie Morton had that 10 strikeout game Sunday. The day before, Spencer Strider got 11 strikeouts, allowed just one hit himself over six innings. 24 swinging strikes on 93 pitches. His fastball was the best we've ever seen. It peaked at 102.4. The The hardest thrown fastball by a starting pitcher this season, I believe. Wow. 
perhaps yeah, ever in the Statcast era. I'm not sure, but definitely this season was what I saw. And the slider was up 1.6 miles per hour on average too. So I know it's it started out kind of bumpy. This is transition for Strider the rotation, uh, but now you know four of his last five starts have been just amazing, amazing. Two eleven strikeout efforts in there, a combined three and runs in the four of five that were good. One, he gave up six runs, but like, I mean, Spencer Strider, I think is verging on, I, I don't care who he's facing. Um, he's in my lineup status himself. Yeah. Here's an interesting one from a, you know, comparing him to a guy who had a very good start himself this week and who has, I, I think it's, you know, a similar four out of five stretch now uh, of really good starts. Shane Boz versus Spencer Strider. Shane Boz is my number 36 starting pitcher. Obviously has more of a pedigree, more of a track record. Um, who do you have ranked higher between Boz and Strider? I have, let's see. As of now, I have Boz six spots ahead of Strider, which, you know, that far down the pitching rankings, we're in the 35 to 40 range. I, you know, that's, that could go either way. I was, I was expecting to say Strider. <laughs> uh, and yeah. I might after this. But yeah, they both look like, they both look like crazy efficiency guys, like in terms of, okay, the ratios are going to be awesome, but there is the threat of them you know, potentially come up, coming up short in the innings, both start by start and over the course of the rest of the season. Yeah, Strutter has uh, thrown at least 92 pitches in four of his last five. The The one outlier was that, start against the Giants where he gave up six runs in three and two-thirds innings, and it wasn't he didn't get pulled from that because he was at some kind of pitch limit. He just got hit hard. So he's yeah. actually thrown 106 pitches in an outing uh, in that stretch, plus 92, 95, 93. So pretty good pitch totals from a, from a young pitcher. All right, I'm going to rattle off three more big pitching performances from the weekend, and uh... – you can tell me what's most notable about them if you'd like. Luis Castillo of the Reds, he went up against Charlie Morton, allowed just one run in seven innings, six strikeouts. Uh, he got 10 swinging strikes just on his four-seam fast. Or I'm sorry, he got eight on just his four-seam fastball. Again, 51, thrown 51% of the time, leaning on that more than, uh, than his sinker, and it looks like it's a pretty good swing and miss pitch on its own. Framber Valdez had a 13-strikeout effort against the Angels. Now, he did also walk five, but only two earned runs in six innings. That makes 13 straight quality starts now for Framber Valdez. And Robbie Ray struck out 12 against the Athletics on Sunday. One earned, runs, one earned run in six and two-thirds innings. He had 27 swinging strikes on 107 pitches, including 11 on the, fast, on the slider, which he threw... 48% of the time, more than usual for, for Robbie Ray. It seemed to be seemed to be a good plan against the A's on Sunday. Anything to point out with those three? I think Castillo is probably the most noteworthy there. Um, just because Ray, like, he's been trending up, and I feel pretty good about him. I think he's back inside my top 25 now. Uh, but obviously, matchup against the A's also makes, the, uh, makes things look a little better. The... The Angels just were terrible <laughs> this weekend. The The Astros made them look ridiculous, but Framber Valdez is just really good. I don't think he's a swing and miss pitcher all of a sudden, but we know who he is, and what he is is a a very convincing Dallas Keuchel impersonator. 
at this point. He, he gets better um, strikeouts than Keuchel. He's not a huge swing and this doesn't guy. have as good of control. So you know, not quite the yeah. same thing. But you know, the the end yeah. result is I think fairly similar to to Pete Keuchel. Um, but Castillo is really interesting because that's two starts in a row, I believe, where he's gone really heavy with the four-seam fastball. That's not typically the fastball that he relies on most. Yeah, he had 46% usage with that in the previous start. Um, and that is a much better swing and miss pitch for him. I don't know necessarily if I, you know, if you want to say it's a better pitch than his sinker, but the whiff rate on the four-seam fastball has been really, really good. Um, trying to pull it up. So far this season, 45% with the four-seam fastball. It's actually interesting. His changeup hasn't been nearly as effective in terms of swings and misses for him this season. 27, I think he only had one of them uh, with the changeup today, maybe two. Um, but yeah, the, the four-seam fastball was the primary swing and miss pitch. And it's an interesting question whether, you know, he should continue doing this or whether he will. But mm -hmm. Luis Castillo, he got off to a bit of a bumpy start to this season. I think there was a lot of, oh, here we go again. Luis Castillo is overrated, blah, blah, blah. He's got like a 2-5 ERA uh, since the start of June. Or since actually his last start in May. May 31st, he had a 10 strikeout, 6 shutout inning start against Boston. Seven starts since then. He's allowed 12 earned runs. He's had 48 strikeouts with, I believe, 18 walks. So um, I'm feeling pretty good about Luis Castillo. He's in that top 36 discussion for me. So those were some good pitching performances from this weekend. We got to get into the bad ones now and uh, talk about whether it's time to move on from some pitchers that we've been excited about at one point in time. And unfortunately... The most notable of these is Tarek Skubal, who was awful again against the Royals, no less. Five earned runs in four and two-thirds innings, three walks versus one strikeout, about a couple homers. His velocity was down more than a mile per hour on everything, which is, you know, velocity hasn't been so much the issue with him during these struggles. But now, five bad starts in a row, 9 ERA, 1.91 whip. Uh... 5.5 walks per nine and two home runs per nine. And that's, as we talked about the last time Scooble had a bad start, that's where I see the clearest difference is that, you know, he was, his control was pristine early on and I, he probably had some good home run luck. And now both of those have turned dramatically and, and just everything is going horribly for him. So what, what did you see here, Chris? Yeah. I mean, when you look at like, I think it's a like command thing with Tarek Scoble when you look at like the heat charts for his pitches. He throws a lot of sliders in the middle of the zone and the fastball. He gets a lot of those in the middle of the zone as well. And, you know, I think the the velocity being down in this one probably exacerbated the issues, but I think it's probably just true that, you know, what we saw last season was when he's not perfect. He gets hit really hard, especially with his fastball. And yeah, that was not so much an issue early on in the season. And I, I think it was probably a case where he was simply, uh, you know, locating his pitches really well. Right. But right. since the start of June, if you count, you know, not bef even before this start, which was a bad start, he had a 340 expected Woba allowed overall last season that was 357 so a little better than last season but 
yeah, you can see he's starting to fall back on or fall back into some of the bad habits from last season, getting hit really hard, giving up too much loud contact. And yeah, if the, uh, if the control's not there, you know, I, I don't, I don't see what, what makes him stand out. So it's, it's frustrating. Um, well, and there's I, not I, really I wonder like a if... specific thing I can point to and say, that's why it's just, he's kind of pitching worse. Yeah. I mean, I, I wondered with the velocity being down this start, okay, maybe there's something health wise going on. Of course, an injury isn't the only reason velocity might be down. It could be something mechanical, which would also yeah. impact his control. Uh, but obviously there's for, well, fortunately I should say, I you know, we, when we, our, our last show Friday, we talked about Scooble as a risky, but you kind of have to do it two-star pitcher. Well, that he started on Sunday. So now he's not a two-star pitcher next week and you can just sit him and be the better for it. I don't think we're at the point though. We're even in like a 12 team league, we consider dropping Scooble. Are we? I would prefer not to, but he's definitely more uh, like he'd been in the top 40 and moving into the top like 30 ish range. I'm probably dropping him back closer to 50 now. I did this next pitcher, McKenzie Gore. I did give a thought in one of those 12 team head to head points leagues with only 21 roster spots. I wanted to add an extra hitter and I did give a thought to dropping McKenzie Gore. I ultimately didn't do it, but I at least thought about it uh his his latest start at the dodgers on sunday actually kind of kind of a gutty performance he, he ended up only allowing one earned run in five and two-thirds innings but four walks versus three strikeouts um that gives him 15 walks versus 11 strikeouts in his past four starts his velocity was again down in sunday's start 1.4 miles per hour it's been down throughout that four start stretch and i just I just think the, some of those problems he was having, um, you know, he kind of lost his mechanics in the minors last year. You saw velocity go down. You saw control get worse. And, and maybe it's happening again to a guy who relies on a big leg kick and, and some complicated mechanics. Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing that we've seen from Mackenzie Gore so far this season is just that the um, the secondaries aren't quite there consistently enough. Like he's he gets decent swing and miss rates on, uh, you know the curve the the changeup especially, but he doesn't throw it to lefties, um, so it's really like a, a specialty pitch for him. And so I just think like right now he's just kind of a not a fastball only guy, but the fastball is the only pitch that he seems to have a lot of confidence in, and it's hard to pitch like that at the professional level at this point. So I think he's still Mackenzie Gore still has some. Uh, I think he's still got some seasoning left is the the way I would put it. Like he's still figuring it out and there's still obviously a lot of talent as we saw the fastball. I mean, for the, for the fact that he's so fastball heavy, the results on the fastball are actually pretty good. You know, uh, expected Woba in the low three hundreds with right around 20%. None of that's elite, but well, I mean, given his overall struggles, he started out gangbusters so, for that pitch. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't but, know how much of yeah, that is carrying over. He's still, I think searching for, you know, that second and third pitch to feel comfortable with. I think he's still developing those pitches, and uh, I think he's gotten figured out a little bit. I think a sign he might his fastball might not be right is that to, to have that gutty performance against the Dodgers Sunday, he actually he threw it only 50% of the time. 
50% of the time is mm-hmm. a lot for most pitchers, but usually he's up over 60. So he relied on the secondaries more in this Dodger start and managed to get through it. Okay. In a real world sense, but certainly not in a way that inspires much confidence in fantasy. Okay. Other pitchers who let, let's, let's do the drop meter for these guys. So Corey Kluber, his numbers have been decent this year, particularly in the eight starts prior to Friday's start, 270 ERA, 0.92 whip, 8.1 K per nine. But on Friday at Toronto, he allowed five earned runs in three innings, struck out only one, threw 49 pitches, didn't last very long. And, uh, you know, where, where, do we, where do things stand on Corey Kluber? How likely would you be to drop him on a scale one to ten? Uh, I've been pretty skeptical of Corey Kluber throughout. I, I don't know if I've ever moved him inside of my top 70 starting pitchers, even when the results have been pretty good. So I have no trouble dropping him. I think in a, even a 12-team Roto League, he's he's not at all a must-roster player. So I would say a 7 or 8. I did drop him in the – or at least I put in a bid to drop him. Hasn't gone through yet necessarily, but in the in the 12-team points league podcast league. I'm okay cutting bait on Corey Kluber. Specifically, would you drop him for Jose Arquiti, who we talked about earlier? He had his uh, third straight quality start on Saturday, gave up one run in six innings against the Angels, allowed two hits, struck out eight. Angels lineup really struggling right now. We saw what Javier and and Framber Valdez did to them, but Arquiti was great against them as well. 17 swinging strikes on 104 pitches, including 10 on the fastball. Combined three earned runs in 19 innings over those past three starts. Are we are we on board in our, on, with Urquidy in general, and will we drop Kluber for him? I think it's fair to be skeptical that Urquidy is going to be a, a starting caliber player moving forward or a must-start player if you want to frame it that way, but he's got the athletics in his next start. So I feel more yep. confident starting him than I do Corey Kluber in the next start. So that is, is among to make me drop Corey Kluber. He is among my sleeper pitchers for next week is Urquidy. Uh, it's not clear. Let's see. I, I think I have him going against the Royals, but it, it may be, you know, maybe it'll one way or the other. It's going to be a good matchup for Urquidy. Okay. Next up on the dropometer, Rowanzi Contreras. We loved his potential when he got a spot in the Pirates rotation against the Brewers on Friday, though. Seven earned runs in one and two-thirds innings. Just an out-and-out disaster. Allowed three home runs. Uh, and that was after having five walks in his previous start. You know, 276 ERA prior to this blow-up against the Brewers. So you could you could argue he was pitching pretty well overall, but he, he'd been getting hit pretty hard. What do you think of Roenzi Contreras? You time to be ready to move on? Yeah, he hasn't gone a full six innings, I think, in any start this season. He hasn't really had a good start since June 4th, so almost a full month now um, since that eight strikeout game against the Diamondbacks. Um, so, yeah, I I think it's five drop Contreras. I think he's probably close to a 10 on the drop meter. Would you drop Roanzi Contreras for David Peterson of the Mets, who wasn't facing the Marlins this time? Remember, we are giving him a hard time in his previous two starts when his whiff rate way up, shot way up, 19 whiffs in each of his previous two starts, but both were against the Marlins. He's facing the Rangers on Friday, struck out 10, walked none in six innings, three runs allowed, two home runs. So it was barely a quality start, but the... The strikeouts, the whiffs, they remain high for for Peterson. And uh, 
you know, it seems to coincide with increased slider usage, a pitch that gets a lot of whiff from in general. Is Are you more excited about the potential of David Peterson now than, than Ruanzi Contreras? And are you, is he somebody just looking to add in general? I So I'll probably take a similar tack to the one I did with regards to Kluber versus Arquiti that Peterson gets the Marlins in his next start. And so if nothing else, I would rather start Peterson than Contreras for that start. But yeah, I think what we're seeing right now is the the development of that slider and the, the increased usage of it makes uh, Peterson look a little more interesting. I don't know if I trust him to be, even in like a 12-team roto sense, uh, a starting caliber player, but I think he's a fine streamer. The way he's pitched against Miami the past two starts, how much they've struggled against lefties. Um, there's always a little bit of a concern when a pitcher faces the same team like three times in four starts just because hitters do tend to perform better the more they see a pitcher. So it's possible that the, uh, you know, he turns back into a pumpkin here, but I, I feel pretty good about him right now. So uh, at least in the short term, Peterson seems like a, a pretty useful player. Okay, drop a meter for Michael Lorenzen, who allowed eight earned runs in three innings at Houston on Friday. So the Angels didn't have it going hitting-wise or pitching. It's been a struggle for Lorenzen lately. I originally had him in my 10 sleeper pitchers for this upcoming week because he's going against the Orioles, but after this start, I just I just couldn't. I had to take him out. We done yeah, with and I think I think that's the right call. Like he, he's someone that when you look under the hood, you can talk yourself into Michael Lorenzen being a pretty good pitcher. Like He's got pretty good, decent whiff rates on his fastball with good sprints he's got good whiff rates on the slider and change up but good then like, you add rate. it all up and it's it's kind of a the and the hole is just not as good as the sum or yeah. whatever the, the the sum is not as good as the parts whatever the the saying would be um i, I think at this point he's probably just an rp uh you know a spark for head-to-head points leagues he's not someone outside of a, a head-to-head points context that i have much interest in and and even then, in the twelve-team league, like there are enough sparks right now that I think Lorenzen is uh, is pretty fringy. So I don't see Lorenzen as very exciting, but we haven't seen Marco Gonzalez as very exciting either. And yet, he had his sixth quality start and seven chances Friday against Oakland. Two earned runs in six innings, struck out only two, allowed eight hits. Uh, in that seven-start stretch, where he has six quality starts, a two-eighty-four ERA, a one-fifteen whip and also 4.5 k per nine so um yeah i mean good for him i guess for stringing together all these quality starts but like you can't trust somebody who strikes out so few batters can you no i don't think trust would be the word that you would use there i mean he but Marco Gonzalez does have these stretches. Um, I mean, he's he's going on now five years in a row with an ERA of 4.00 or better. Now, the problem is three of those five years, it's been 4.00, 3.99, And those are useful numbers. I don't want to make it seem like you can't get value out of a 3.96 ERA. The problem is he's kind of a one and a half category pitcher. He usually doesn't have great whip. Uh, even last season when he had a one a 3.96 ERA, he had a 117 whip, which is good but not elite. This year it's 132. He doesn't get any strikeouts, as we talked about. 
And he's a decent wins pitcher. I mean, he won 10 in uh, 25 starts last season. So that's like a 13 win pace over a full season. This year, he's got four in 16. So that puts him on an eight win pace roughly. So I, I think he's probably like, even when the ERA is good, that's probably all you're getting out of Marco Gonzalez, which means he's a decent streamer and a guy to keep around. But if you find someone exciting on waivers, you, you drop him. You know, it, it just depends on, like, I don't know if David Peterson is that guy. You know, he might be. But also, I, I'm not sure I would drop Gonzalez for Peterson. So it, it's more situational. I think he's situationally useful. Okay, so you don't know. Uh, okay, well, we'll follow up with that in a second. But another bad outing from this week, and Ross Stripling allowed three earned runs in four and two-thirds innings against the Rays on Sunday, seven hits. He had looked decent in previous starts. His overall numbers were pretty good, but I don't think we were ever buying into him nope. that hard. So this is all the excuse you need to move on from Ross Stripling. So of these pitchers, good and bad, do we drop, do we add? Uh Go through the whole list here again. Corey Kluber, Rowanzi Contreras, Michael Lorenzen, Ross Stripling, David Peterson, Marco Gonzalez, Jose Urquidy. If you could only have one, who would you pick? Of that whole group. That whole chunk of seven names. Hmm. I would go David Peterson. I would want to take including Urquidy? We're including Urquidy, yep. I think Urquidy would be my favorite of that group. Um, And then... Gonzalez and Peterson in some order. I think they're pretty close. Okay. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together, and nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck, and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. All right, let's go on to news and notes here. First, I I meant to say this at the top, a little programming note, just in case you're feeling bad that we're we're working on major holiday. Don't worry, we're not actually going to be working on the day. And because of that, right after this show, Chris and I are going to record a mailbag show to air tuesday so that we don't have to record one monday night for you and uh should be a lot of fun and then frank will be back for wednesday's podcast and uh it'll be a joyous occasion for all okay news and notes here frankie montas left sunday start at seattle with tightness in the back of his shoulder he lasted only one inning velocity was way down tightness in the back of his shoulder it sounds like one of those it's not lat- not where you want tightness. Not you know, it sounds like one of those lat issues for Montas. That's not an official diagnosis, uh, but obviously, 
don't plan on using him this week because I am expecting an IL. Frankly, I mean, we're a little over four weeks from the trade deadline. I think the trade deadline is actually in August this year. I think it's August 2nd, uh, the way the calendar lines up, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, the July 31st is on a Sunday. So it's either the first or the second this year, I'm pretty sure. Um, But yeah, this is one that, you know, Frankie Montas seemed like a prime trade candidate. And all of a sudden now it looks like Frankie Montas probably there's at least a chance that they won't be able to trade him because of this injury. So that's a, that's a concern. You know, obviously I don't want to get too far ahead of it, but um, definitely concerning the way that went down. Yes. 6 PM August 2nd is the trade deadline this year. Another concerning injury here. Juan Soto was removed Sunday with calf tightness. He'll be reevaluated Monday. That's not necessarily a bad injury, but without any updates heading into the new week, you know, in those shallower leagues, I'd give some thought to, to playing it safe. Uh, yeah, I would hope that you don't have to sit him, but, you know, obviously, unless we get some kind of update, it's it's a risk. Xander Bogarts was spiked on a steal attempt Sunday and removed with a thigh laceration. I don't think that one's going to be so bad to keep him out, but it, it's possible. I would, without hearing anything more, I'd lean towards starting Bogarts. Yeah. Uh, Ranger Suarez was placed on the aisle with back spasms, removing him from the two-star pitchers for this week. So you don't have to think about using him. Kevin Gosman was, this was a scary one, left when he was hit by a comebacker in the ankle Saturday, but x-rays were negative. They haven't verified that'll make his next start yet, so maybe play it safe with that one. Jack Flaherty won't throw for two to three weeks, which I, I think... On an aggressive timetable, mid-August is, yeah. is about the best we're going to get from from Flaherty when we see him again. I I so, dropped him outside of my top eighty for the rest of the season. I, I think he's droppable if you don't have the IL spots for him. I believe I did as well. He looked 79. bad. Yeah, he looked bad in his return. Uh, I I have questions about his performance anyway. So yeah, I, I I'm not particularly optimistic about Jack Flaherty rest of season. Uh, Anthony Desclafani is back on the I.O. with ankle inflammation. He's, Tyler Steep. Anthony Desclafani's done for the season, I saw. Uh, okay. He's having ankle surgery, and then, yeah, his season's done. Tyler Stevenson, who's been out since June 9th with a fractured thumb, will begin a rehab assignment Monday, and the catcher position could use him. Chris Bassett was scratched Friday and placed on the I.O. with no, uh, no injury designation. So probably sit him this week, but maybe he'll be back after that. Jorge Soler was placed on the aisle with a back issue. He's been nursing for a while. Chris Good Sale for, Jorge, for uh, John Birdie, who oh, I believe true. started at left field in the first game after Soler's injury, and um, he gets Noah Syndergaard this week. So if he gets on base against Noah Syndergaard, <laughs> he's stealing two bases at least. <laughs> Okay, I'm locking on, that on one, one pitch. Stealing two bases on one pitch. Yeah, just don't hit a double. Chris Sale will start for AAA on Wednesday in what could be his final rehab outing at long last. We, we might get a Chris Sale payoff. He has to go five, I think, for that to be the case, but I'm going to bet he will. So hopefully next week we'll be able to use him in fantasy. 
not this upcoming week. Chris Taylor fouled the ball off his foot Saturday. X-rays negative, but he sat Sunday. Kyle Farmer hit in the hand by a Spencer Strider pitch on Saturday out of the lineup Sunday, but X-rays negative. Adam Duvall hit by pitch on the hand. X-rays negative, but out of the lineup Sunday. You know, they're, they're pr three pretty fringy players. Uh, it could go either way, how much they play this week if they end up, you know, obviously it's good that X-rays are negative. Yeah. But if you if you have alternatives for Chris Taylor, Kyle Farmer, and Adam Duvall, I would recommend playing it safe with them. Oloy Jimenez possibly back this week after that long absence for a hamstring injury. Could serve as the DH at first. Would you risk putting e Eloy Jimenez back in your lineup, Chris? No, I, I think I'm okay giving him a week just because I, I wouldn't be surprised if even if he does return this week, they, they play it safe. He doesn't play every day. Um, you know, especially in a points league, he's not such an impact player because he doesn't walk very much that you're going to miss out on too much, hopefully. So yep. yeah, I would, uh, I would, I would sit him, let him, let him prove he's healthy. I would also sit Jesse Winker who he had his suspension reduced from seven games to six. I, I don't, I don't know what the difference is. Um, but he was in the lineup both Saturday and Sunday, which I thought it's, was it's odd. One. So, yeah, well, the difference is one. But like, what? Oh, well, you know what? It wasn't. It wasn't as bad as we originally thought. Let's let's give you another game. I I don't know. I don't know exactly how that works. But I don't know why he kept playing. Like, if the appeal's been heard, I don't know. But he's yeah. Presumably, he's going to start I would serving him this week. Yes. Day. Yeah. Uh. Okay. A couple quick notes here. Fernando Tatis looks like he could return in the outfield rather than shortstop. I, I think he's eligible at both places, anywhere you'd play fantasy baseball. And he's still a couple weeks away from swinging, but that's the latest on Tatis. Okay, let's get into some hitters. We are quickly running out of time. And uh, so let's try and do this quickly. Let me just highlight a few big performances worth highlighting from the weekend. Nolan Arenado was the hitting star of the weekend. He hit for the cycle on Friday and then hit two home runs on Saturday. So big weekend for Nolan Arenado and he's a stud. Jeremy Pena four for five with two home runs on Sunday. It was his sixth game since returning and he'd struck out a lot in the games leading up to it, but hopefully, hopefully he's shaking off the rust. Now I think a big performance like this is all the encouragement you need to keep him active in those shallower leagues. Uh, CJ Crone on Sunday hit two home runs, had six RBI. He keeps on keeping on. Reese Hoskins, two for three with a home run in the double on Sunday. And I, what's worth noting there is, you know, we haven't talked about it much, but last 26 games, Reese Hoskins batting 348 with nine homers, 17 walks versus 21 strikeouts. You know, I don't, I don't think he's discovered this new potential or anything. I think he's just hot, but. Uh, it's nice to see his numbers get back to where we expected them to be all along. How are you feeling about Marcelo Zuna these days, Chris? He homered twice on Sunday, gives him 16 for the year, which is, you know, 30-plus homer pace. But he's only batting 215 since April. The batting average hasn't gotten better since that awful month. It's only gotten worse. Is is Marcelo Zuna, uh, like, do you, do you think he's going to be must-start rest of season? He's His career has really been defined by these really, really impressive expected WOBA stats. Um, you know, and this season's no different. He's at 366. League average is 316. Uh, he's been really good. If you go by that metric, 
unfortunately, two years in a row were massively underperformed his expected stats. He's still not striking out all that much. He's still hitting the ball hard. So I do think Marcelo Zuna is going to be better moving forward than he has been so far. But, um, you know, for what it's worth, he has underperformed his expected WOBA for his career. 239 is his WOBA. 362. Sorry, 339 is his WOBA for his career. 362 is his expected WOBA. So he is one of the more consistent underperformers in that regard. So you can't just point to the 366 and say, well, he's going to do that. Um, even, you know, without the caveats about, uh, you know, the, that stat not having as much predictive value this season because the ball's not traveling as far. But yeah, I, I still think, like, something like what he did in 2019 when he was a disappointment but hit 241 with 29 homers, like, I still think that's well within the realm of possibility. Okay. Isak Paredes. This was this is a hitter who's still out there in quite a few leagues, and he was somebody with his triple eligibility who I was tempted to add over Mackenzie Gore in that shallow points league. Uh, I wanted a versatile bat for my bench, and I'm I'm starting to buy into him just a little bit. He homered in both games of double header double header Saturday. That brings him to 13 and 127 at bats. Had another two hits Sunday. He has more points per game. You know, I was just looking at second base where you'd probably need him the most. Or, you know what? Probably need him the most at third. But just comparing him to other second basemen, he has more head-to-head points per game than Trevor Story, DJ LeMayhew, Luis Arias, certainly somebody like Cattel Marte. And what I've noticed about Isak Perret is, you know, we, we've mentioned he makes a lot of contact, but the contact on average isn't particularly hard. He pulls the ball in the air or at least in these 127 at-bats, he has pulled the ball in the air a ton. His pull rate on fly balls is 48.9%, which is ridiculous. And that is mm-hmm. a way that uh, a hitter who doesn't impact the ball very hard can can hit for a lot of power, as we've seen from Paredes. I'm not saying he can sustain this pace, but I think he can remain... You know, depending how much the, the Rays stick with them, that's always the question for anyone who plays for them. I, I think he can remain useful if if that is part of his hitting profile. Yeah, I mean, he, here's an amazing stat about Isak Paredes. He has a 209 Babbitt this season, which is unbelievably low. And that's the kind of thing where you think, well, wow, okay, he has a little bad luck there. Uh, his expected batting average is actually 27 points lower than his actual <laughs> batting average despite yeah. that so well because the contact's I think, not very hard yeah like the quality of contact it's not very hard he hits very he's at very few line drives he hits a ton of pop-ups like he he almost has as many infield fly balls as line drives this season which is really really bad um mm-hmm. so yeah i think like the profile because he's a lot of contact and, and a lot of pull side air contact he can continue to hit for some decent pop I think that's probably all Isak Paredes is going to do. And so it, it might be uh, a situation where he ends up with 25 home runs by the end of the season. But I think I think he's probably going to hurt you everywhere else. Um, so I'm not particularly excited about it, but I'm not going to say he's without utility. Rowdy Telez hit, his, uh, hit another home run over the weekend after a couple two-homer games last week. Is he back to must roster in your eyes, Rowdy Teles? I think it, I think for me in the categories league. Uh, 
Yeah, it's been it's it's tough to call him must roster just because I think what he what he really is is just streaky. Um, yes, you know, and I think he's going to be someone who is good for power. Yeah, so I I don't think he's going to be someone that you feel good about every week production, but. Mm-hmm. Like at the end of the season, he's going to hit 30 home runs probably or somewhere close to that with decent batting averages. And so, you yeah, know, if, and, and the if RBI you're in totals, a set it and forget it kind of situation, yeah. The RBI totals remained very high too, um, or, or at least it just started out so high that it hasn't had a chance to normal. So when you just look yeah. at the raw home runs and RBI, you're like, how could anybody not have Rowdy Telez? But, of course, the experience has been more up and down than that. Eduardo Escobar has homered in three straight, all three games this weekend, up to nine for the season. He's still batting just 228 with a 694 OPS. But this is a guy who had 28 home runs last year, he had 35 in 2019. And when you look at the StatCast data, not a lot of differences from, from that 28 homer season last year where he was borderline, borderline must start, I would say, Eduardo Escobar. K rate's up a little, but not enough to think... You know, he can't rebound from it. I, I don't know. I've been waiting for Eduardo Escobar to come roaring back. Maybe this is the start of it, but I've been reluctant to drop him in some rotisserie leagues. Uh, let's see here. Who can Yeah, else? I mean, okay. I, I think he's... Yeah. Go ahead. Let's go to Fran Mil Reyes, who has two home runs in his last three games, but he also has 21 strikeouts in 11 games since returning. That's a 49% rate. So... Like, it's just getting worse, right? All the strikeouts for Fran Mill Reyes. I, I don't know. I I think he's probably going to be a pretty good source of power, but, man, if he can't get those strikeouts under control, he's going to be a disaster for your batting average and probably lose playing time. Yeah, I mean, he's hitting 268 with three homers in 11 games since coming off the IL, which is pretty good. But it's just the 268 is very inflated given the, the high strikeout rate. So yeah, it's, it's hard to trust him too much. Um, but I do think he, like he'll continue to hit for power and I don't think he'll strike out 49% of the time moving forward, but he's above 40% for the season, right? I mean, it's been really bad all year. It's been, it's been awful. And, and like I said, getting worse. So, you know, even in some five outfielder roto, a uh, five outfielder roto leagues, I don't know that, I don't know that you have to stick with him. And, and you know, it, it kind of reminds me of Joey Gallo a little. Gallo started to lose a lot of playing time, so it's it's even worse in his situation. But mm-hmm. Rommel Reyes could end up going the same way. Definitely something to, to keep an eye on. We have a lot of bullpen happenings this weekend. We're going to have to go through them quickly, unfortunately. Aroldis Chapman was activated Friday. And uh, he worked the seventh inning of game one of a doubleheader uh, over the weekend, allowed two earned runs, walk three without getting an out. Clay Holmes then got a two-out save in, in game two of that doubleheader. And I, the plan for now is Chapman to work at some point in the last three innings of the game, which means the plan isn't for him to be a closer, at least not strictly. So definitely hang on to Holmes. Try to hang on to Chapman, too, because I 100%. think uh, in the long run, it's it's unclear how this is going to play out. For the Phillies on Friday, Brad Hand worked the ninth for the save with uh, Sir Anthony Dominguez working the eighth. Now, Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado, and Juan Yepes were due up in the eighth, so they they used Dominguez against the, the middle of the Cardinals lineup. It may have been a leverage issue there, Hand getting the save instead. On Saturday, Dominguez was the one who worked the ninth. Um, 
but he allowed a home run for the loss. It was in a tie, so you know it wasn't a save situation. But Hand had worked the previous inning, so they, they the Phillies flip right back on Saturday after going Dominguez beforehand on Friday. I still think Dominguez is the guy to have there, but maybe in some fifteen-team leagues, Hand might be worth picking up for saves. Emilio Pagan, this is for the Twins. Emilio Pagan has officially been moved to a lower leverage role. Uh, manager Rocco Baldelli said, yeah, he's going to pitch earlier in the game and potentially when we don't have the lead and things like that. So he got a win over the weekend, looked pretty good in the inning he did pitch. I don't know that he's out completely, but certainly if Yoan Duran is out there in your leagues, like he's been far and away the better pitcher for the Twins, and hopefully yeah. this is his opening finally. Um for the Dodgers, Craig Kimbrell was terrible again on Sunday, allowed three earned runs and .1 innings, got hit by a comeback, comebacker, left the game. Scans on his back were negative, so it doesn't sound like he's going to miss a lot of time with that. And Dave Roberts also said he's not even considering removing Kimbrell from the closer role, even though he has a 478 ERA. Not sure who he'd go with anyway, because Daniel Hudson's out for the year. For the Braves, of course, Kenley Jansen's still out with that irregular heartbeat. Will Smith worked a scoreless ninth for the save on Saturday with A.J. Minter working the eighth. So they both came in, and, and Smith was the one who got the save. Uh, Minter did come in on Sunday to handle a tie in the ninth inning, a spot a closer would typically be used in. And he ended up blowing the game, allowed four brace runners without recording an out. Didn't get much help from the defense, it's worth pointing out, but... Uh, Still unclear how the Braves are handling those two, but I, I think if you're just looking for saves, advantage is Will Smith right now. Uh, Liam Hendricks, should have mentioned this at the top of the show, he's due back Monday, so you can ignore the two saves Kendall Graveman got this weekend for the White Sox. Paul Sewald mm -hmm. for the Mariners. Is, he, went, he threw a perfect ninth inning for his ninth save now, Sunday, and he has five of the team's past six. In a span of under two weeks. So I kind of feel like Paul Zewald's just the guy. We've gotten burned pinning that to anybody in the Mariners bullpen the past two years. But this is this is some consistent usage for Seawald. For the Reds, yeah, Hunter Strickland. Really good time for uh for the Scout White Dynasty League for me. So happy about that. Yeah. Yeah. Hunter Strickland for the Reds. He blew a save Sunday, allowing two home runs. He had converted the previous three saves, but he has a four, 540 ERA. Uh, Lucas Sims has been rolled out for the year, so he's not coming back. But Alexis Diaz could be back by the end of next week. And I still think he's the preferred option there in fantasy, even, even if Strickland has been seeing more consistent save chances recently. And then finally for the Rays, Jason Adam got a save on Sunday. He struck out the only two batters he faced. There was a four-run lead. He entered after uh, you know a run had already been let in in the ninth inning, so it wasn't it wasn't like a traditional save situation. And, and so I don't know that Jason Adam is the front runner there for saves, but with a one forty four ERA, point seven WHIP, ten point one K per nine, I kind of feel like Jason Adam should be. And in those deeper leagues, I remain interested in him. All right. Let me see if I could spotlight just a couple other things real quickly that we had to pass over here. Uh, let's see here. So one pitching performance worth mentioning is, uh, uh, let's see here, George Kirby struck out nine in seven innings against the Athletics, allowed only one run on three hits. 
15 swinging strikes, but 10 of them were on the fastball, so that remains the go-to pitch for him. Uh, Tyler Anderson, remember we were worried about him and the, and the change-up usage going down and uh, it becoming less effective. Well, that, that completely reversed on Saturday against the Padres. He got seven whiffs on the change-up, also seven on the cutter. So he was yep. missing plenty of bats, then only one earned run in six and a third innings. You got something, Chris? Uh, no, I think it was a very good sign from from Anderson that he got that changeup and cutter working, and I, I think those are probably the two most important pitches for him. Obviously, the, the changeup has been incredibly important for him this season. So good to see. I, I remain skeptical moving forward. You know, I, I had moved him up pretty aggressively. He's more in like the fifty range starting pitcher now, and I think that's probably where I'll stick with him moving forward. Lance Lynn had his best start since returning, and it was at San Francisco. No one runs in six innings, only three hits allowed, 15 strikeouts, only eight whiffs on 104 pitches, but remember he had 23 whiffs in his previous start. So I think Lance mm-hmm. Lynn continues to trend the right direction. Uh, Carlos Carrasco had a good start Sunday against the Rangers, eight strikeouts in five and two-thirds innings, only one earned run allowed, 20 swinging strikes on 102 pitches for him. I'm finding Carlos Carrasco pretty baffling this year and <laughs> frustrating and like never sure when I can use him. Yep. But it's nice to see this is still in there, and he might be worth holding on to for that. I guess I could say the same for Blake Snell completely. He struck out 12 at the Dodgers Friday. Of course, lasted only five innings, four walks. But overall, it was a good start. I have, I know I can't trust Blake Snell, but it start like, starts like these that make you think, <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe he's not completely droppable. I don't know. Where are you on Carrasco and Snell, Chris? I, I wouldn't drop either of them. I think both have shown uh, enough upside this season that I just... I definitely can't bring myself to drop them, but obviously, look, it's 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 frustrating going for either of them, and I don't feel confident starting either of them. Like Blake Snell, the one league that I have him in is Tout Wars. I haven't started him. Honestly, I'm not sure I've started him all season in that league with the way that team's gone. And Carrasco, I'm going to need to see a few more. I mean, the, the thing with Carrasco specifically is like, there hasn't been much in the underlying data to suggest one way or the other, like when things are going well or when things are going poorly, there hasn't really been a lot to point to and say, well, that's why it's happening. And so that, that kind of like randomness of it just makes it even more frustrating because it'd be one thing if I could look at it and say, all right, his changeup's not working or his fastball velocity's down or something there, but it just hasn't really been the case with Carrasco. It's, just been kind of the the underlying under the hood stuff has been fairly consistent and the results just have been all over the place so i don't know to stream or not to stream monday we got patrick corbin coming off that 12 strikeout effort he's going against those marlins who strike out a lot against left-handers right dane dunning is at baltimore zach plesak at detroit hunter green against the mets chris flexen at the padres and dylan bundy at the White Sox. I think my favorite here, and it's always dangerous to say it, is Zach Plesak. Got a nice quality start streak going. He's got the worst lineup in baseball. I feel okay about that one. The others, eh, it's a real stretch. Maybe he's good against, against the, the Marlins. 
Corbin did have eight strikeouts in six innings with two earned runs allowed the first time he faced the Marlins this season. They've been bad against lefties this season. So it wouldn't stun me if he was good. It wouldn't stun me if Dane Dunning was good. It's a good matchup in a good park. But um, I think Hunter Green's the most interesting of this group yeah, well, for sure. the long he term, could, but he could, not he could using get you against nine the strikeouts, Mets, so. potentially. Or he could get rocked by the Mets um, lineup. So, yeah, I'm okay with Plezak being the, the best streamer there. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Tuesday, we got Nick Lodolo returning from injury against the Mets. Jose Quintana against the Yankees. Good luck with that. Uh, Jeffrey Springs at Boston. So remember, he missed his last start because of a, a family medical emergency, but he's coming back to face the Red Sox on Tuesday. Alex Wood at Arizona and Yusei Kikuchi at Oakland. I think even with that tough, ma- tough matchup against the Red Sox, Springs is still the pitcher I'd most likely trust of this group, but there are some good matchups for some of those others. Who do you got? I, I do say Kikuchi in this one. All right. He did have a good start last time. Let's see if he can keep it going. I don't think Chris and I can keep this going. We're looking forward to Frank being back on Wednesday. And uh, we hope you all have a great 4th of July. We will be celebrating as well. And we will catch you next time on Fantasy Baseball Today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.